We're in the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, and we pick up the reading in verse 44 of chapter 13. And the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. I'll stop there because I'll give you the context, right? Paul and Barnabas are in the city of Pisidian Antioch, and they have been preaching a message and uh, they gathered there, and the leaders of the temple in that city, they said to Paul and Barnabas, would you share a word with us, right? And as they were sh- uh, sharing the word, the city was so encouraged by that, they came back on the next Sabbath, okay? And that's what it is. And on the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For thus the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as Uh, As many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. But the Jews aroused the devout women and prominent, uh, 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 the women of prominence and the leading men of the city, and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet and protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll stop there. Uh, This message title, Move On, um, I hope it's a very practical thing for you. Uh, I hope it's practical in the realm of uh, a a lot of different things, spiritually, in terms of uh, maybe you've had chances in the past to speak with individuals who weren't quite receptive to the gospel. Um, You've had a chance uh, maybe to try to encourage somebody in a particular season, and they weren't really there with you in what you had to share with them. I hope this message speaks to you in that, but maybe even practically, maybe even in your work, in your career, um, if you are at a place where you lead particular folks or you are in a position where you have to share information with individuals, maybe it'll be practically in in that way as well. But primarily how I speak is in the realm of faith, in in sharing the gospel. I give you this picture, right, of this man riding or kind of standing over a horse that has been shot in the head, right? Clearly the horse is dead, right? And ancient wisdom says this, right? Ancient wisdom says that when you discover you are riding a dead horse, the best strategy is to dismount, right? No matter how affectionate you are towards your animal, no matter how attached you are to this wonderful creature, if it is dead, it is dead weight, that you are hindered from moving forward if you are staying mounted upon a horse that is dead. In the book of Genesis, there is this very hilarious dialogue that Abraham has with some angels of the Lord. It's found in Genesis 18. You might want to write that down for your own reference. And so angels of the Lord visit Abraham in his old age. And if you remember the story, uh, Abraham was promised a child, right? That he would be the father of many nations. And now 24, 20, uh, almost 25 years have passed since Abraham had received this promise. 
And now they're thinking, you know, we're never going to have children. And so the angels of the Lord come and visit Abraham. And they say, uh, next year, when I come and visit you again, your wife will have a child. And Sarah, who is now well advanced in years, nearly 90 years old, laughs at this statement. And the angel of the Lord hears that she laughs. And they have this kind of comical discussion of you laughed. And Sarah said, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did laugh. And it's quite hilarious how that happens. But nonetheless, the angel of the Lord says, I will come again next year. By this time, your wife will have a child. And as they're about to leave, God had another agenda for these angels. Right? They were to head from this place and go to the valley, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, because there was this sin that had arisen to God, and he became aware of this, and he wanted to destroy the cities. And so these angels, not only were they commissioned to go and speak to Abraham about this promise that they would do uh, the following year, that they would accomplish, but also that they would then go to the cities of the valley to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And as they were departing from Abraham, they talk amongst themselves, should we tell Abraham what we're about to do, right? And because he was this man of promise and because of who he was, they decided to share. And they said, we are going to the cities of the valley and we're going to destroy that. And Abraham had a problem with this. Why? Because his nephew, Lot, dwelt in that particular place. Some chapters ago, uh, Lot had, had separated from Abraham to, to settle in the valley over there because it was so green. And so now him and his family and all that was precious to him dwelt in the city of Sodom. And so these angels are telling Abraham, we're going down over there because we're going we're gonna to destroy it because there is a sin that has arisen before God and we're going to confirm it with our own eyes. And Abraham is shaken by this and he begins to kind of plead with these angels and, and he says, well, you know, could I even ask you this? If there are 50 righteous people in the city, won't you spare it? Will you destroy an entire city and region because of 50 righteous people, and, and the angels kind of, uh, they, they concede it's okay. If there are 50 righteous people, we won't destroy the city. And Abraham kind of takes a hook in, and he begins to reel them in a little bit further. Well, what if 50 are lacking five? What if there are 45 righteous people? Will you destroy the city? Right? Okay, if 45 are there, we, we won't destroy the city. Now he's beginning to sense something. Well, what about 40, right? What about 40? Okay, 40... Please, my lords, forgive me for asking this. What about 30? Um, okay, if 30 are there, we won't. And then he goes further. What about 20? Okay, 20. Please, I'll only ask one more time. Forgive me. What if only 10? Okay, if only 10 are there, we won't destroy the city. And the story goes where these angels proceed to go there and they find Lot, his wife, and his daughters. And they are the, really the only ones that are rescued from this city. Not even ten righteous people are found there in that place. And I find that dialogue interesting because there comes to a point where there's just not enough. There, there, there weren't enough people in the city in God's eyes to save the city as the narrative goes, right? And no matter how much we try to save something, there comes a place where certain places, there's just not enough people. And it comes to the place where you're speaking to an individual and they're just, they're just not there 
to get it, to receive it. And that's really what this message is about. Because in our passage, we see Paul and Barnabas. They are speaking uh, in the city of Pisidian Antioch, teaching in the synagogue there. And the the Gentile uh, congregant members, they are so overwhelmed and overjoyed by what is being spoken. And the entire city comes. And then some folks of some Jewish background, they begin be jealous of what's happening here. They're, they're not, this, the synagogue is our place of worship. What's going on here? This shouldn't be happening in our house, in our house of faith. And they grow jealous. And, and Paul has this conversation with these Jewish leaders. And he begins to say, you know what? You have proven yourself unworthy. And actually, this is the plan of God. And God has appointed us as this light to the Gentiles. And this conversation goes on. And so this brings me to the first point, and I want to say this. Speak to the people who are listening, right? However you want to take that and apply that, okay? And and I say first in in the realm of faith. Speak to the people that are listening, that are listening. And we we can understand this, but sometimes it's hard. Because we we really want the, the particular person to be listening, but sometimes they're not, right? Why do I say this? Because much of what we have is limited. You can speak in the realm of time, finances, energy. That a lot of what we have is is limited. It's it's got a boundary to it. It's not of unlimited quantity. And because what we have is so limited, that's why I'm I'm saying speak to the people who are listening. There's a, a time management principle. Maybe you've heard it in some way, shape, or form. It's this. Not all time is of equal value. What is that saying? That's saying that each block, our block of time that you have in your waking day is not of equal value. That you have certain energy, rhythms, and height that peaks at certain times of the day and it it drops at others. And so you need to be doing high potent quality things to impact you, your life, and your future, and your career in those high energy moments. If you are a morning person, your uh, 8 to to 11 a.m. is very, very different from your 8 to 11 p.m. How energetic you are, how focused you are, right? And so you need to be using your high potent time to do high impact activities. That we should not be folding laundry and doing mindless errands in those high kind of impact time zones, right? If, if I'm just going run into the grocery store at 10 a.m., I should be doing that after work when I'm spent because I can be doing that going to the grocery store on fumes, right? Those are activities that I can be doing in the low energy moments. And I need to spend high energy moments thinking about those creative aspects of the project that are in front of me in those high energy, high, high, high times. And that's what this principle is all about. Allocate the best activity to the best time frame of your day. And if you do so, you will maximize your time you will maximize the output of the energy that you spend in each given moment. That's what this principle is about. And in the realm of time management, let me transpose that to the realm of speaking to individuals. There are individuals that are more receptive to you than others. Speak to those people. 
that the individuals that have the greatest possibility of accepting what you have to say to them spend the, the bulk and the, and the most precious amounts of time, resources, and energy towards reaching those particular individuals. Jesus did not spend a lot of time trying to reach uh, the people of his hometown. When you read the Gospels and you read about his earthly ministry, most of it is concentrated in the regions of Galilee up north, right around that sea, and also down south in Jerusalem. Very, very few occurrences of Jesus actually going and staying for prolonged periods in the city of Nazareth. There was an occurrence that is written for us in Matthew chapter 13. And it says this, When Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there where he was, and he came to his hometown and he began teaching them in their synagogue. And so that they were astonished, and they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, right? And so he goes back home, right? Wherever your hometown was, this is Jesus' hometown. And he goes back, and he goes into the synagogue, and he begins teaching with authority. And as he's sharing, as he did in all the other cities, as he did it in Capernaum or Jerusalem, as he did it in all the other regions that he was at, he goes to Nazareth, and he preaches in the same way, and he goes to the synagogue, but the response is a little different. They have this question, wait a minute, where, where did you get this authority and power from? And it goes on, is not this the carpenter's kit, right? Aren't you Joseph's son? I mean, he lives down the street from us. I know him. I go to his shop all the time when I need a chair or a table or a piece of furniture. Aren't you his kid? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. Right? And so if you flip that around, a prophet has honor in other places except when he goes home. That's what Jesus is saying in this particular lesson. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Right? And you see that in the ministry of Jesus as well. That he didn't spend 95% of the time in the city of Nazareth. He was in other regions. And he realized that when he went here, these people were not receptive because they were stuck on his past. They couldn't get behind, beyond that. All they saw was him as a tradesman. Maybe Jesus grew up in the carpenter shop underneath his father Joseph, and they were so uh, regularly interfacing with Joseph just in the realm of carpentry that they could not translate that into ministry. They could not translate that into actually him speaking spiritual words into their lives. And so they were completely shut off to that. And Jesus, sensing and knowing that they were lacking in this receptivity, he says, you know what? I don't have any honor here. I'm not going to do many miracles here. And not much is recorded of him in that city. And you go back to our passage in Acts. It says in verse 48, right? And when the Gentiles heard this, they began uh, rejoicing, right? You see the difference here that they're in Pisidian Antioch speaking to the people and one segment of the, of the crowd, they're completely overjoyed at this news and one segment of the crowd is kind of snarling and just gritting their teeth and, 
and in complete jealousy. And of course, there needs to be somewhat of a balance, right? Because I think God will give us certain assignments in life that are tough. You know, I'm talking about the individual that God has placed in our lives for us to reach, but they're a tough assignment. They're not receptive right away. And I, I believe God wants us to persevere and to commit and to, to continue to, to, to really push and to soften the heart. And that there are those individuals that are the tough assignments. But there needs to be that balance of knowing that, you know, if, if somebody's not receptive, I, I need not beat that drum continually. That, that there is a, a space and a, and a group and, and people that can receive and that I need to spend time, precious time, important time, the bulk of my time, trying to maximize the resources that God has given to me, my time, energy. You know, Jesus, he dispatched his disciples to go and preach the gospel into the regions, right? And he says, for right now, don't go to the way of the Gentiles. I want you to go to the house of Israel. And he says, uh, you know, uh, preach the kingdom of heaven, that it's at hand. I want you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. I want you to go out. You received freely, so freely give, he says to them, right? Don't take money with you because where you go, you are worthy of the work that you do spiritually. You'll be supported. And when you enter a city, it says in Matthew chapter 2, when you enter a city, find the house that is worthy. Find the people that are worthy. If you want to write down the reference, it's Matthew 10, verses 5 to 15. Right? Find the people that are worthy and then go there. And I find that interesting. I find it interesting that Jesus would give such directives, right? Because he's saying, okay, go, and I, I want you to be selective in the houses that you go to. Only the worthy ones, he says. Find out who's worthy in that particular place, and then stay there. And bring a greeting of peace to that house. And if the household is worthy of your greeting, it's going to remain there. That God will bring a spiritual blessing to that household. But if the house is unworthy of that greeting, don't worry about it. That greeting will return to you. And I want you to shake the dust off your feet. And move on, he says. And that's an interesting concept. Again, it moves back to this idea that we need to speak to the people that are receptive Second point, don't take rejection personal. God has a plan. The plan for Paul and Barnabas was recorded in verse 47 of our passage in Acts 13, when he says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That was the plan of God. Can I ask you to write down this reference, just the chapter, Romans chapter 11. When you have some time, read that. It's a fascinating chapter, Romans 11. Right? Paul begins to, to write, and he's talking about this relationship that God has with Jews and Gentiles and, and his entire plan. And because of the Jewish rejection, God brought salvation to the Gentiles. And it was interesting, the, the vocabulary that Paul uses in talking about this. Right? He says that God turned to the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous. Right? Because God wanted to come back to them, but He first wanted to arouse their jealousy. Because right? if God is going to turn His back on His own household and go to a foreigner and bring salvation there, He would make the, the, the people of His own household jealous of that. And hopefully that would bring about an opening of their heart. 
And he begins this language of this, this, this branches that were grafted in and, and the, the original native branches and how they were taken out and how he can bring those branches back. And it's this entire dialogue. But it just shows that God has this plan that, that he's factored in the rejection of, of Israel. And Paul, understanding the call that he had in ministry, that, that he was called as a light to, to the Gentiles, that, that the rejection of the Jews was not something that he took personal, that he understood that this was a part of what God was doing, that God's eyes were always to the nations. You know, Jesus prepped his disciples this way in his ministry. As we've been reading through the book of Acts, this is what we've been seeing. We've been seeing the salvation of Cornelius and preceding that, how, how God was trying to, to prep the church from crossing this barrier between Judea and Samaria and how that was the catalyst to go to the ends of the earth. And we've been seeing that. So God's eyes have always been on the nations. So Paul and Barnabas are, are here. Uh, they're being pushed out of the city. The Jews kind of arouse the prominent men and women of the city uh, to, to bully them out, and they do so. They end up leaving the city, and the response of Paul and Barnabas was much the same of what Jesus had said to the disciples in Matthew, right? Because it says in verse 51, they shook off the dust from their feet against them. And what did they do? They just went to the next city. They went to Iconium, right? And that was just the next city down the path. And so, how do we uh, apply this to our lives? Um, do you have a family member that you've been trying to reach? Is there an individual or people in your lives that they just haven't been receptive? And I need you to take a, a grain of, uh, of caution and not to just abandon the, the, them or whoever they may be but to know that what you have in time, in energy, in the words that you can speak of influence, that they are not unlimited in amount. And to prayerfully and, and, and think about how you can utilize what God has given you best, right? To understand that there are tough assignments, but to know that there is, is a harvest that is out there and that God can have you minister and move in that particular space amongst those people and to not continue to be trying to ride this horse that is dead. And so as I close, praise team, you guys come back. I'll finish with two takeaways. And it really is a summary and application of what I've said. And the first would be this, that when, not if, right, when. Because we will always be rejected in some way, shape, or form, right? So when, not if, people reject you, don't take it personal, right? And that would lead me to just know that God's plans are not always pretty, but they are perfect. That, uh, that amidst the, the hurt that we can receive from individuals in our lives, that God has this perfect plan that overarches and undergirds what we do. And to know that even in the midst of rejection, God can accomplish something absolutely beautiful. Amen.